So I look forward to our discussion again on, on Moses and, and Jonah tonight. And we've had some good discussions on our past examples, uh, the past couple of class periods. And, you know, to start out, I've got a, a pretty simple slide here. And when I was reviewing this, thinking about Moses and Jonah, and you've got to condense so much into such a short period of time, and thinking about each one's spiritual warfare that they went through, my simplification for Moses was an idea of I can't versus I can. And again, that might be way oversimplifying his life story. There's so much, and we're not going to be able to get to all of it. But I think about, and we're going to get to these, about the numerous times where he said, I cannot do what you've asked me to do to God. And then we see him playing out and becoming more courageous and confident and taking on the things that God asked him to do and, and leading his people. And then Jonah, which hopefully we're going to get to and be able to talk, to talk about him some, is God's will versus my will. Again, that might be an oversimplification, but trying to give you know, general guidance into the two people we're going to be talking about tonight and looking at uh, some scripture from each one of them. So kind of keep those in the back of your head. And if you have other ideas and thoughts, obviously, when you think about the warfare that they both went through here on earth, please um, interrupt me, speak up, and let's, uh, let's share together and learn, learn from each other. So when we, we think about Moses, you know, we obviously... Those of us familiar with the scriptures know about his, the way he was preserved as a child. And in, in Hebrews, it talks about the faith of his parents in chapter 11, how faithful they were, because they recognized that there was something different about him and how, how God preserved Moses with, with their assistance. <clears throat> and we know that he was raised as an Egyptian in the house of, of Pharaoh. And then when you pick up in chapter 2, in verse 11, we see here that it says, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Uh, there's an additional question mark there. The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must, must have become known. So, here we see... You know, the battle that Moses, again, we have to speculate about his childhood, but being raised, he knew that he was a Hebrew, but he's being raised as a Egyptian, part of the Egyptian royalty. And the, 
the battle that must have gone on there, uh, I wish we had more detail about that. But as we find him here, and part of his <clears throat> warfare, we see that he comes, what it leads him to is, is killing an Egyptian and trying to cover it up. And then when it is, is found out, or he knows that, you know, he, it's revealed to him that others know about this, what, is, what does he do? He I don't flees. have that up here. What's that? He flees. He flees, yes. He, he runs away, runs for his life to, to Midian. And again, this is all, this is working into, into God's plan. And as we can see it from a, a long, a far away distance, we see how it's all working out. But think about Moses and the, the battle he would have been going through um, during this time, uh, being Hebrew and being an adopted uh, part of Egyptian royalty. And as he is in Midian, he's, he's, he's fled there. This is where, and he establishes a life there, a, a family and a life. And this is where God comes and makes contact with him and tells him what his plans are for, for him. And of course, that is to go back into Egypt and to lead, lead God's children out, which, you know, again, what a unbelievable task for someone to be asked to do. Um, and, you know, that's where we get in a lot of these, as I put them, these I can't statements, where Moses is, is interacting with God, and we see his, his honesty with God in the way that he responds to him. We're going to look at, at some of those. And the first one here is in, in chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. It says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt... You will worship God on this mountain. So, I think this is a pretty fair question that, that Moses asked. Thinking of, again, thinking of the situation he is in, that he has fled from, from Egypt, and now God is saying, you've got to go back and, and tell Pharaoh to let, let my people go. And, you know, how hard of a, Ask that must have been for I mean for for Moses to hear that that was that was going to be his his role in the battle within within his mind as to how am I going to do that and he again is very honest with with God about that and not even just about what he was going to say to Pharaoh but he struggled with what am I even going to say to the children, to the, the Hebrews. Are they even going to believe me, God? Um, and that's what this, as it continues here in chapter 3, is what Moses says. He says to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent, to me, sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. 
And <coughs> Moses continues in this conversation. What if they did not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? So, again, we have this, this back and forth and this, this tension that Moses is, is feeling that's very obvious and having this honest conversation with God. And, and what, do you, what do you remember the next things that he says that, that he can't do? What is, what is one of the main things that he says that he's just, I, I'm not good at? Speech. Yeah, yeah, everybody knows that. I'm not, you know, a good talker, uh, not articulate, you know. And he says this multiple times through, you know, throughout the, the passages here in Exodus. And we're going to look at a couple here. Uh, the first one here is in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 4. Uh, he says to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who, give, who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And... This back and forth continues. Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. So, you know, it, it's fascinating to see this, this interaction between, between God and Moses, because Moses is not, he's not giving up. <laughs> he's... He's continuing to, to plead his case to God. And it gets to the point where, what does it say? That, what does God feel? Anger, yeah. Um, which is, is, is fascinating. And it's a scary thing, too. But you think about, again, in the context we're talking about, this, this spiritual warfare. Moses is... Himself, he's tearing, he's pulling himself on, you know, God is wanting him to do something, and he's pulling himself away, trying to think of excuses, trying to think of, of reasons. Yes, Randy, this reminds me so much of a conversation with a teenager, yeah. <laughs> a young teen who has already decided that they don't want to do something, and now they're just covering all the angles, right? Yeah. So every question that you can imagine to be asked, they're going to ask it. And it doesn't matter how well you've answered the question. The bottom line is they just don't want to do it. <laughs> and so the Lord finally just says, okay, you're going to do this. <laughs> and he gets angry about it. And then that's often the way those conversations end. But contrast that with, with the situation with Abraham when he was told to leave his home, his country. You don't have any of that. He just seems to get up and go. And that's the, that was the difference, primary difference, I think, between Abraham and so many of these Bible characters like Gideon and you know, the others who just see, want proof every step of the way. And, you know, who are we the most like, honestly? Um, <laughs> I, I know I like to have all the angles covered before I go on any undertaking that, that calls me out of my comfort zone. Uh, I completely agree. Any other thoughts on that, that part? Yeah. Well, it's, you see the, 
the progression and you just see his <clears throat> you can understand why God gets angry because God is saying like I'm the one telling you to do this I'm the one who created you I'm the one who created your ability to speak all that and he continues to not trust in God is how I see it it's it's not I don't I mean maybe he just doesn't want to go but he also is just like He's trying to put too much of it on himself instead of trusting that God said, go, he's going to take care of all the what ifs, and I don't have to worry about it. Right. And you know, you, we have the, the staff that turned into a serpent, the, his hand that was leprous and then it wasn't. The, when the initial thing was the, the burning bush that is burning but not being consumed and a voice is coming from a, the voice of God. So, we, you know, we have all these things. And again, <laughs> going back to what Darrell said, I think we can all think of a time or maybe multiple times where we've already had our minds made up, you know, and, and somebody's asking us to do something. And it might be something small or it might be something monumental. And we've, in the back of our minds, we're like, okay, no, and I'm going to cover... And I'm going to think of excuses and cover these angles to make sure I don't have to do that. Yeah, Tom. Um, we're going to look at the story of Jonah. So this is kind of a shadow. It doesn't explicitly say it in the text, but I think the, reason, the bottom line reason and what he's not saying to God is that I'm afraid. He's saying everything but that he's afraid. And he's standing in the presence of God. And he's afraid of the thing that God is telling him to do. He, he's afraid of something that's not God instead of having fear of not doing God's will, which is what we'll see later, uh, which is a good lesson for us, is that as daunting or as you know harrowing as something might seem, if God is calling us to do it, we should be more afraid of the consequences of not doing his will than anything that can occur while undertaking it. Yeah. Uh, right along with what Kyle just said, um, you mentioned earlier that at one point Moses had to run from the Egyptian after he had killed the guy. And uh, since we're talking about walking in the spirit, um, if you are walking in the spirit and if you're at a place where God wants you to be, it seems hard for us to believe that you could be running for your life. But that has to be on the table because of, there's a lot of people in the Bible that had to run for their lives when they were doing God's will, including Jesus at one point hid in the temple, I believe. And so uh, there are a number of things. If you're, if you're in walking with the Spirit, you have to include some of the crazier things that happen, including knocking over the money changers' uh, tables, hiding from the crowd, uh, fleeing for your life. Um, and in fact, the Paul, it's, it's, uh, this could be an entire sermon, so I'll cut it short. Uh, but like David, for example, seems to have a real hard time with, well, he's, how, how is he in the Lord if he's losing battles or running for his life? Um, but Paul actually in the New Testament talks and uh, goes at great length to demonstrate how losing is actually winning in his mind in a lot of different ways. And so um, that's, a, that's a whole sermon. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And hopefully it comforts all of you as it comforts me that through, you know, whether we're running or through our brokenness, through the brokenness of Moses, of, of Jonah, of anybody, David, you know, we, that's, that's what we should take comfort from, and, yes, Darrell, sorry. And the point of what I was saying is not Abraham good, Moses bad. Oh, I know. It's, the, you know, the fascinating thing is that God works effectively through both of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in Moses' foibles, mm -hmm. as well as Abraham's foibles. Sure. Um, 
and that God can work with us too. And yes, I think all of us can probably remember when we first became Christians, and the first thing that people try to do is get you up in front of and say <coughs> prayers and stuff. <laughs> so I can I can just imagine what Moses is going through. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because <laughs> the first man, and sorry, this is about me, but I guess I'm teaching, but the, the first man, and I regret this to this day, who asked me to do something in front of the church that I grew up in, I refused, and he asked me, and he's like, I've written it out for you. He was such a kind, he was my, uh, my grandfather passed away when I was young, so he was kind of my, you know, adopted grandfather, uh, and it, I, to this day, I regret that so much, but it's the same thing that, you know, such a small minuscule thing but you know we um we you know just don't have to lack the courage at certain points or just feel these feelings of you know not being prepared or, or for whatever reason um but yeah that, that's did you ever tell him what's that have you ever told him unfortunately i never did uh, mar you're gonna make me feel really bad i wish i had a yeah, exactly. No, I, I, we probably joked about it later, you know, but I, you know, I was still a teenager anyway. But you know, as an adult reflecting back on that, you're like, oh man, why did, why was I so so dumb? You went dumb, you were scared. Exactly. You're right. Thank you for defending me, Debbie. Any time anybody needs it. I'm Yes, yes. Raw, raw. I'm, I'm thinking about the things we've discussed about Moses just back and forth on all this and yet the Hebrew writer uh, talks about Moses as he... We're going to get there. Say yes. Okay. <laughs> that, that he forsook all of that mm -hmm. because he could see the unknown God. He could see the unseen God. I think that's an intriguing I know, that, comment about yeah. where Moses finally arrived. Yes. I'm sorry, I don't no, want to okay. take away. We're, we're going to get there. Just a couple of uh, passages. I just want to read a couple more here about him, him building up to, to that. This is in chapter 6 of Exodus. Moses Speaking to the Lord says, Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. So more, um, God giving Moses more proof, more encouragement. He actually says, I, make, I will make you like God to Pharaoh. That's how much I'm going to elevate you. And again, God trying to encourage him, push him to do what he wants him to do uh, for his people. And again, we see this development, and we're going to get to Hebrews 11 and the, the writer of Hebrews, his description of Moses and his faith. But as, as Moses is leading the people, and they're standing on the shores of the Red Sea. 
Um, and I, I just picked this passage out of chapter 14 to see where, again, when I was talking about all of his statements of I can't do this, you know, we have this moment where I look at it as, okay, I, I can do this. You know, he has led them out. They are complaining and they're saying, what have you done? Because they're at a dead end. Pharaoh's army is bearing down on them. And all this pressure is on Moses. And he answers them here in, in chapter 14. And he says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need to be still. So here we see the courage of Moses, his leadership, and it's, you know, hitting, hitting an apex right here before they're going to, to cross the Red Sea. As, as a side note, um, it's kind of humorous. God says, what are you doing standing there? You guys need to move if you keep reading. So even though, you know, he is, he is being courageous, he is being the leader, he's telling the people, do not be afraid. Um, and if you keep reading, God's like, all right, I'm going to part the seas. You all need to start moving. <laughs> uh, this is kind of a, a humorous excerpt there. Um, and it, as Jay mentioned, we're going to look at the, Hebrews writer, the Hebrew writer, his description in chapter 11 of, of Moses. And this, in verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. So there's you know, quite a lengthy description of him here in Hebrews, a lot of different things. And as Jay mentioned, you know, I believe it's showing his, his evolving into the leader that he became and the leader that we see leading them out of Egypt <coughs> taking them through the Red Sea um, and leading them through through the wilderness um, and there's a lot of different things mentioned here about his youth as he was growing up in uh, the daughter of Pharaoh's house talks about how he did not want to be associated with that and that he wanted to be associated with with his people, with, with God's people. And then it, again, it continues as he is being leading them out of Egypt as he is obeying God and leading them and keeping the Passover um, and the institution of that. So a lot of uh, amazing things that he it's his denials and his excuses that all continued to lead up to. Um, 
And also, in, towards the end of Exodus, in chapter 32, I want to look at this, where he's willing to give up his life for, for the people. Uh, this is in Exodus 32, and verses 31 through 32. It says, So Moses went back to the Lord and said, and this is one of the, the rebellions of the people. Uh, this is what this is referring referring to. It says, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now, please forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. So, we have, you know, the leadership of Moses, again, the, the spiritual battle that we are talking about, and he's at the, the point now where he is willing to give himself up for for the the children of Israel. Any any thoughts on this or anything? The past few months, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Jesus in Matthew five in the Beatitudes, in conjunction with that note in Hebrews eleven, he said, "Blessed." Uh, I'm sorry at the wrong place here. Uh, verse 8, I'm sorry. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's always been an intriguing statement to me. But take it in light of what the writer says about Moses. Uh, Apparently, he developed that pure heart where he could, he could see God so plainly. I'm just not going to give up. You know, you want to take my life and, and place it theirs? Go right ahead. He trusted the Lord that much. It's kind of intriguing to me. And that, isn't that like Paul's statement that we, we see the unseen? By faith. What is what a great example of leadership? <clears throat> Moses himself was not even involved directly in this mm. uh, insurrection, and yet he comes down from the mountain. And he says, "Put it on me." Yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> leadership like that is just so rare. And what's, what stands out to me, I guess, when I think of Moses and spiritual warfare, I mean, what we see, and I know we, for the sake of time, move through quickly, but chapters 7 through 12, where you see, if we talk about in 3 through 6, God is prepping and grooming Moses and Aaron to go fight a very real spiritual war against Egypt. And just... We glance over that, I think, a lot of times when we read the account of the plagues, but the very real spiritual powers of God turning staffs into serpents, performing these plagues of the Nile and frogs and lice and flies. And we see, to an extent, very real spiritual forces of evil replicate toe-to-toe -to -toe with those powers and turn staffs to serpents and turn the Nile to blood and turn frogs over the land. And it gets to a point where those very real spiritual powers of evil can't go toe-to-toe -to -toe anymore. Yeah. And they acknowledge, the magicians acknowledge that whatever dark 
power they're tapping into, they say, no, this is yeah. greater than what we possess. This is greater than the spiritual power of evil that we're tapping into. Yeah. And you see that as he fights that battle through the plagues. And then like you mentioned there in 14, you know, they talk about them leaving the land and God's going to fight the battle for you. They just watched him right. fight the battle. They just watched him defeat very real spiritual power. No, um, but just that, that stands out to me the most in the life of Moses as a, as yeah. a war between two spiritual beings. Yeah, I, I agree. And that, I think, is part of his evolution that he would have seen, seen that and grown and being strengthened, obviously, by that. And knew that when God said, had told him, you will, you will plunder them. And I'm sure he's thinking, how in the world are we going to do that? You know, this is the greatest army the greatest military on earth. And they, you know, as he sees that, that spiritual battle is being won plague after plague after plague. And they do, they end up taking the riches of the country away and plundering that country. Very good. Um, I've got a couple more here with, with Moses. One in Numbers, and you know, this one really speaks to, this is from Numbers 11, speaks to, Again, the honesty of, of Moses and his dialogue with God. And again, what an example for us um, to just speak true feelings. And we've seen that with David and with other um, figures from the Bible. This is from Numbers 11. He's, Moses asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. And in God's re reply to this, a uh, few verses later, he says, I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. And this is speaking of 70 elders that he wanted Moses to separate to help him with this burden. And God says, they will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. So, again, I, I wanted to emphasize that, the, the honesty with God, not trying to hide anything, hide feelings, but the... To be, to be honest, and we see God respond to that, saying, I recognize the help that you need, and here, here is the help. Uh, yes, Jane. It's interesting, too, because, you know, us reading about it, we know that God was actually responding to his perception of what was going on, because mm -hmm. he wasn't doing it alone. God was his strength. Sure. He couldn't have done it alone. But even though it was probably a wrong perception, God had grace for him and still answered that so that he could be strengthened in his mind as well, which I think is comforting because yeah. God meets us where we are. That's a great point. Anybody? Any other comments? Yeah, go right ahead. Uh, well, I was thinking about several comments that have been made, but it, I think it's significant that we learn from... Uh, Deuteronomy that Moses fasts for 40 days. You know, he's on the mountain and he doesn't do it just once. He does it twice. You know, there's 40 days. It's, um, 
Deuteronomy 9, um, 9 and then 18. And so, you know, and then we later see that Moses is on the, when Jesus is transfigured, he's there with Elijah. And, and as far as I know, Elijah is the only other person besides Jesus who goes 40 days, you know, fasting. So this is part of his spiritual warfare, you know, <laughs> the battle that he fights by denying himself the, the food and water for 40 days, two different times. Um, yeah, you, you think about all, all three of those, it is a fascinating thing, and that what that was preparing them for um, is, yeah, a, yeah, it is incredible, and we could have multiple classes on that, but it is fascinating, um, that the spiritual warfare that it, it prepared them, all three of them, for. Uh, I'm going to try to get to Jonah real quick. We're going to wrap up Moses. Um, and this short passage here at Numbers 14, again, speaking of the leadership of, of Moses, as he's asking for God to forgive, forgive the sin of the, of the people. And he basically reminds them, please forgive them just as you've forgave them ever since we left Egypt. Uh, and he realizes what a gracious God that God is um, and continues to ask for that. Um, and I will finish Moses on a down note, but this is the spiritual warfare. As, as most of us know, when he, when he disobeyed God in Numbers 20, it says that he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arms, struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. So, what was, what was wrong with this? He took credit for it. He took credit for it, and what had God told him to do? Just speak to it. He previously told him to strike it another time. This time he says to speak to it. For his disobedience, you know, um, himself and Aaron were not permitted to go into the promised land. So again, it, it speaks to the humanity of Moses. You know, we, we see his patience, his long-suffering with them, and then we see the lack of it here. And obviously what we all... <laughs> experience probably on a daily basis these these battles of of the, the fruits of the spirit of our, of our spirit spiritual warfare and what uh hopefully i hope you all take encouragement as i do from moses the life of moses and his ups and downs and his development into you know one of the greatest leaders that this world has ever seen yes girl but this shows you how um, so many instances of being patient can be kind of negated by a one instance of losing your temper <laughs> and how that can follow you around. Yeah. Even though you, you're what Bradley considered a patient person, yeah. that one time you lost your temper mm. has consequences. That's it plays true. itself out in the way that in your relationships. It'll stick with you like it did with him. Any, any other comments on Moses? We've got a few minutes to um, to touch on Jonah. And the instructions that, that God gave 
to Jonah were pretty, you know, simple, you know, a simple explanation. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So God's will is for Jonah to go preach to Nineveh. And, you know, this is such a huge task for him because Jonah hates Nineveh. And I don't think hate is a strong enough word. Um, and we, we see, and this, you know, again, five minutes does not just give this justice. There's so much within Jonah. But the fact that, that God, you know, these are not his children, right? These are not his chosen children. They are his children, as, as the whole world is, are his children. These are not his chosen people. But God is wanting them to repent. And he's wanting them to not suffer his wrath. Um, which is fascinating. But what we know from Jonah is Jonah does not want them to repent. He does not want anything to do with that. So he goes in the opposite direction. So God's will is for these, these people, this foreign nation to be saved from his wrath. Jonah's will is for them to be wiped out, to be destroyed. Um, and as we know, the, the great fish swallows Jonah, and he spends uh, three nights in the fish, and we, after he is, you know, vomited up by the, by the fish, we see in chapter three, that God gives him the same instructions again. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now this time Jonah obeyed. He obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. So Jonah obeys, and this is you know, not, not one quick sermon, right? This is going to take... Three days of, of going through the city, speaking to multitudes of people. And, and what, is, what is the outcome of, of this? What did the Ninevites do? They repented. Yeah, they repented. So, it, you know, the story has a great happy ending, right? So, Jonah <coughs> is... Uh, in chapter 4, he says, well, he, to himself, it says, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sinning calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. Um, this, every time I read this, is just blows me away. Um, but how, <laughs> I, I try to think of the times that we think of certain situations 
people, groups of people, whatever. And we decide what's best for them. We decide whether they are worthy of God's salvation. You know, we, we make those decisions within our hearts and sometimes with our actions of what we feel our will is going to be the best instead of God's will. The only difference is the honesty of, of Jonah and I think the lack of honesty of, of myself and speaking for you all uh, it might might be um, any any thoughts about this we only have a minute but I apologize for the shortness yes Jane it reminds me of the quote I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said um, do I not destroy my enemies by making them my friends mm. and I think we underestimate the power of um, how we can destroy and fight the power of Satan when we t help turn hearts to Christ. Not that we can do that single-handedly, but when hearts turn to Christ, that is spiritual warfare being fought. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Uh, we don't know <laughs> specifically why Jonah hated the Ninevites so much, but we know that the, they were very... <clears throat> very wicked, very violent people. And, you know, I just think maybe it's possible, you know, he had some personal experience with those people. They killed some people he knew, they attacked his village, whatever. I don't know that story, but, you know, it's so easy for us to just look at, say, oh, Jonah, how, how could you not be nice to these Ninevites? Well, <laughs> there's carvings of the Ninevites skinning people alive and wearing their skins. That's the type of people they were. So, I guess it's a much more powerful story of God's grace when we realize and try and make that real to us because it, you know the Ninevites has no emotional impact on me. I've never yeah. met a Ninevite. They've never attacked my town. But for Jonah it was. Um, and so I think we just you know try and put ourselves in his shoes and say it makes God's grace and mercy towards them even more powerful, I think. Very good. All right, thank you all very much.